heaven for where we are today and what we're facing. And one of the things that I'm, I'm looking at in the body of Christ right now today, uh, and it's not really unlike any other time. I know we say that and say, well, this, this time is unprecedented. In some ways it is. And for most of us, it is. But there are still those uh, of, of our um, older generations that they've been through stuff. And they survived. Amen. And there's others that have been through stuff in the past. And life still goes on. And so this isn't like we've not faced anything like this ever. Right? There may be certain things, and, and, but what makes this a different time than it ever has been in the past is not what's just going on in the world or naturally. It's because we're drawing closer and closer to the return of Jesus. That, that's, that's, that's the defining part. The defining part is not a virus, even though we, we, we want to make that a defining part of our lives. It's not, and it shouldn't be. Amen. I'm not saying it's not real. I just, I just shared with you about somebody in, in, in our house that's been tragically affected by it, but I want you to understand that it doesn't define our life. You can let it, but he didn't. He still did what he was called to do and did it faithfully and intentionally. Amen. And so we can do that, um, or we can let the times and understand and have spiritual understanding and spiritual insight to understand the times in which we live so that we're living out what God has called us to do. And we're being who God's called us to be in, in, in the hour in which we serve. The Bible says that David served his generation. And I want to encourage you, doesn't matter how young or how old, your generation, are you serving your generation? Are you having the impact on your generation that God's called you to have in this hour? And, and to me, one of the greatest challenges that we face today is a a rift or a division that's trying to work itself through the body of Christ. And, and uh, people, you can see people's, uh, you know, if you want to see passive-aggressive, then just read Facebook. Right? Lots of passive-aggressive. Stuff nobody's going to tell you to your face they're not going to speak the truth to you in love, but they're going to speak the truth on Facebook and hope you read it. Come on. Amen. Or Twitter. Or, or you know, I don't know as much on Snapchat. Um, you know, Snapchat's more if I can just dance my problems away, maybe, and, and be famous. And, you know, that's not the answer either. Right? Um, we can look at all the platforms and, and, and the information and the messages that are coming out, and then even through the election, there, there is, is potential for there to be division and, and, and a, a, a rift through the body of Christ. And then even greater than any of those things, we have the challenge of, of, of the body of Christ of, of living spiritually or not living spiritually. Of actually living and serving God or just having a form of godliness. And, and, and as a pastor, my passion is the church. 
That's my passion. I mean, my passion is Jesus. Don't misunderstand that. But because my passion is Jesus, my passion is the church. Because you can't separate the church from Jesus. You can't separate the two. He's the head and we're the body. So it'd be like me standing up here trying to preach to you without the head. How many of you know that'd be difficult? Why? Because the ability to live and control all of the functions in my body that gives my body life comes from the head. And if I live a life separate from the head, if my arm decides it wants to detach from the body because it thinks it doesn't like what this side of the body is doing, and say, well, I'm just going to detach from that, I'm just going to live separately, I'm just going to do my thing, then that part of the body shrivels up and dies. And, and, and with COVID and with other things that are going on, the election, the enemy is trying to use all of these things in order to separate out the body of Christ and get it to, to try and function outside of the realm in which God had created it to function. Trying to get you and I to live isolated and separate and do our thing without understanding that without connection to other members of the body, you're lifeless. No, I receive my life from Jesus. No, you receive your life from the body who receives its life from Jesus. Are you listening to me? You receive your life from your connection with the body of Christ who as a whole receives its life from Christ while we're here on this earth. I don't mean we don't have personal relationship. We do. We have nerve endings that that go straight from the finger all the way to the head. I understand that. But those nerve fingers, those nerves don't keep my finger alive. It's the blood flow and it's connection to the tissue that's connected to my hand, that's connected to my arm, that's connected to my body. Are you listening to me? This is important for you to understand because unity in the body is what allows the body to function and flow together as one and to be effective in what it's called to do. So there's a, a flow there, there's a connection there, and we're expected by God to walk in a spirit of unity. It's the unity actually of the spirit. It's not unity around a cause, it is a unity that's engendered by the supply of the spirit of God flowing through our lives. That is how we're unified. You're not unified because we have the same color of skin or we grew up on the same side of the tracks, or we have the same experiences in our past, we're not unified. Those are things that we can can have common ground, but the unity in our life that allows us to walk together and be strengthened and have life comes because of the Spirit of God connecting us together as the body of Christ. That's where unity flows from. And it's important for us to understand that because if not, we can be quick to get frustrated with other believers because of how they voted. 
because of how they're, they're doing this or this decision or that decision or because they said something or they did something or they didn't do something. There's so many things that could divide us if we let it. Now, living a, just an ungodly lifestyle, th- that, that, that you're not connected to the body. Amen. So I'm not talking about people that are living ungodly. And you say, well, you know, if this person was godly, they'd do this, this, or that. Well, you know, let's, let's just back up for a minute. Amen. I mean, the Bible says a tree is known by its fruit. I understand that. But don't be so critical that just because people don't do what you think they should do, that you cast them aside and count them as unspiritual. Amen. So it's important that we understand. And, and the Bible says that the enemy's been at work to steal, kill, and destroy. That's John 10.10. 10. But God has been at work to give us his life. John 10.10. 10. Amen. The thief cometh not, but what? To steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I've come life that you uh, come that you might have life and life more abundantly. God's desire is for you and I to have life. And so the enemy's been at work, listen, from the beginning to do two things. The ultimate thing is to destroy man and to keep man from having a relationship with his creator. Okay? That's that's what sin has entered into the earth to try and do, and that is to separate you and I from a relationship with God. All right? But the enemy, the way that he's worked to make that happen is through deception And then another one is through division. And you go back to the Garden of Eden where the Bible says that Eve was deceived by the deceiver, by the enemy. And so God shows up and he calls them out, right? And Eve's been deceived and then Adam blames Eve. So deception and division. It's her fault. When really it was Adam's fault. You see what I'm saying? You, are you listening to me today? So we can go all through the body of Christ and you're going to find two common threads that you see happen all the time. And it's deception. It's people thinking that something's true that's not. Or something, or they think that, 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 that something's not true that is. But it's deception that leads to an action Okay, and you're going to see division, and you can go watch and see that through the children of Israel over and over and over again, and then you can go into the New Testament, and you can see that happening over and over again. Matter of fact, the Word of God says over and over again. If you want to, you can write down Luke 21.8, 1 Corinthians 6.9, 1 Corinthians 15.33, James 1.16, and Galatians 6.7. If you didn't get it all, go back to the podcast. Amen? Because i got to move on. But in all of those scriptures, the Bible says, do not be deceived. Be not deceived. Amen? It says he gives us a a, a command. He gives us a warning. Don't walk in deception. And then the second part is, is the division. And in Proverbs Chapter 6, verse 19, the Bible says one of the six things that the Lord hates is a person who sows discord. 
It's a person who sows discord among the brethren. And they go in and they, they begin to speak things that are not true. Or they say things that are true, but they don't say them in context. So it turns into where it's actually a lie. Now, now stay with me here because this is going to help you. This is what happens in your marriage. Deception and division. It's her fault, his fault. Right? I mean, if it's nobody's fault, then things ought to be pretty good. But how many of you know what's the first thing? You may not say it out of your mouth, but what's the first thing that happens whenever you start rising up in you and there's friction between you and your mate? The first thing that the enemy brings is what they did wrong and how they need to fix it. Right? Amen? So those are areas where the enemy's always working is to provide. He's providing the opportunity for deception. He's providing the opportunity for discord. But on the other hand, when we walk together in unity, nothing's withheld. If two of you agree on earth is touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them by their Father which is in heaven. That's a pretty powerful scripture. The Tower of, the tower of Babel, where the Bible says that the, uh, the Lord looked down and the, the, all of the people of the earth came together and they were building a tower to the heavens and they said, hey, they, they, they've come together of one mind and they're building this tower and they're going to succeed at it unless we do something about it. This is Pastor Rob paraphrase, so you can go back and read it. And so what, is, what did he do? He went down and he confused the languages to where they no longer spoke the same language and they could not all communicate together as one. See, deception is overridden when we communicate the truth in love. It, it dispels deception. When we communicate truth in love, when we speak the truth and we speak it in love and we listen and we open up our ears to do that, when there's right communication, then it dispels deception. So in our life, if we're going to fulfill and do what God's called us to do, we've got to work together as one. Jesus said it very clearly. He said a house divided against itself will not stand. It will not. So if in your marriage, if you will not walk together in unity, your house will not stand. Doesn't matter what application. You can take it to athletics. You can take it to, you know, uh, you know, other teams. Anything that requires more than one person, there's got to be an agreement and there's got to be unity in how you flow and function together or you will not stand. And the body of Christ is no different. We've got to walk and we've got to stand together because we don't walk and, and, and want to walk in division and be divided in what we're doing and who we are. Amen. We want to walk together in unity. So go over to Ephesians 4. Verse 
Verse 1, I want to read to you. I'm going to read to you out of the New Living Translation. And we're just going to read through the word here because the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians. He's speaking to them. And this, when we would teach it in in Bible school, um, I'd like to teach it as the maturing of the saints. This is growing up. This is growing up stuff. This is how I grow up in the body of Christ. This is how I become a man or a woman of God spiritually. These are some of the principles that he's giving that reflect that maturity. Amen? So, it says, and we're just going to read it here. We'll start in verse 1. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling For you have been called by God. Every one of you have been called by God. And he's begging you, I'm begging you, to live a life worthy of that calling. And don't cast it aside as being worthless or unimportant. Amen. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. What? You mean I'm supposed to make allowance because somebody messes up? Yeah. How do I do that? Because of your love for them. We're supposed to make allowance for one another. Why? The Bible says here, it says be humble and gentle. Be patient. Amen. Listen, during the time that we live in, it's so easy to get up under the stress of the moment and the time and the situation, it's easy to get up under that and get frustrated. And I can be that way because I will get intense in in, in my thought process and what I'm doing and when things begin to bother me, it can bleed out into other things in my life. I easily get frustrated with stuff and it's not really the person or the situation that I'm really frustrated with, it's something else. And so I have to, to, to reel it in. And say, no, I, I, I have to be patient. I've got to be, be humble. I've got to be gentle. I've got to be kind. You know, it's, it's funny. You can get on Facebook and you'll hear there's pastors out there that will give you their little rants. And some of them are kind of comical. But it doesn't mean they're biblical. Just, just saying. It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort to walk in the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort, make every, every, use your energy, use, use everything within you to walk together with the other believers in the unity of the Spirit. In the church, we're the first to shoot the wounded. We're the first, unfortunately, to point fingers. And, 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 and we've got to be careful. I'm not saying that you should compromise righteousness. I didn't say that. I'm just saying that you have to be careful how you treat other people. And I'm not saying that you have to ignore it. You know, the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin, but it never says it ignores it. You just have to know whether it's your place to say something about it or not. 
Because the Bible says, let those that are mature restore. And if the first thing you do is point a finger, then you're not mature. So you have no business trying to restore. Amen. I'm, I'm growing you up this morning. If you first thing you do is point your finger. You know, not too long ago, it's a very public thing. There's a pastor that had got into sin and, and he had to step down from a very prominent church in New York. And if your first response to that is, well, I can't believe he did this, that, or the other, then you're not mature and you don't, it's not your job to restore. My first response is to pray, and my second response is, Lord, don't let that happen to me. Because I'm not so foolish to say that that'll never happen to me or that I'd never be tempted. If I didn't guard myself, if I didn't have a wife that protected me, if I didn't have other people around me that would protect me if they saw something inappropriate. Do you see what I'm saying? So... But, but it shouldn't just be like that. It should be with any believer, anybody in the house. You and I, our first responsibility is to pray for them. Then the second thing is, is to ask the Lord, is it my responsibility to say something? Amen. And us be led by the Spirit in that and to know whether we should do something or not. So it says, because there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called into one glorious hope for the future. Listen, there's one body. We may have different denominations, but there's one body. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Don't think that just because somebody's a different denomination that they're not going to heaven or they're not as spiritual as you. There are going to be a lot of non-denominationals in hell along with every other denomination. And I don't mean that ugly, just saying. But heaven's going to be filled with all different denominations. Let me tell you something. Before Jesus, I'll read it. Jesus comes back for his church. He ain't coming back for a splintered, divided church. Amen. It says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. That is the unity that we have in the Spirit. It's that there's one faith, there's one Lord, there's one Father, there's one Spirit. And we are baptized into that Spirit. We're baptized in Christ. We're baptized into that family, into the kingdom of God. For every person who names the name of Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's real easy to get over into a place and think that you're something because, well, I go to this church and my church is this and that and you think you're something, you know, because of where you go to church. No, the only thing that makes you something and me something is Jesus. That's what makes us something. And we happen to gather together here at as Covenant Life Church, as a local church. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Having, you know, well, why are there so many different churches? Because there's so many different people. 
You know what I'm saying? God's not moved by that. We're here to reach people. We're here to touch people. Paul didn't use, I mean, God didn't use just the apostle Paul and said, hey, the rest of you disciples, y'all just sit on the bench, you know, because I've got like the player, the apostle Paul, and I don't need the rest of you. Right? Is that what he said? Mm -mm. He used them all. You see what I'm saying? So he's using everybody. God will use anybody who's willing to be used. We're the one that has the long, 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 long list of hoops and things that everybody's got to jump through before they're worthy. It's easy to make the list, but very few of us can keep it. Anyway, for another message. <laughs> Amen. It says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. All right, so you're the church, right? These are the gifts that he's given to the church. It says he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We don't have to go into all that right now. But why did he give them? Here's why he gave them to the body of Christ. Their responsibility, so there's, now here's my responsibility, is to equip God's people, that's you, right, to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. It says, this will continue, now here we go again, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Listen to what he's saying. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son so that, why? We will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So it's not till we actually walk in unity, we walk together as the body of Christ, we're equipped and we are actually fulfilling what we're called to do, right? Isn't that what the scripture says? It's not till those things that are done that we even touch on maturity. Some of us think, well, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and that doesn't equal maturity. I know some 30-year-olds that, uh, hmm, right? But I also know some 15, 16, 18, 20-year-olds that are pretty mature for their age. So don't think that time spent equals maturity achieved. Maturity comes from correct application of the word, which means I walk in wisdom and I apply the word so that, as James says, I'm not deceived thinking that I'm becoming mature because I know a lot. No, maturity comes because I do what I know, not because I just know. And that's from James. I'm just, you know, again, I'm telling you what the word of God says. It says... Then we'll, it, it says, then we will no longer be immature like children. 
So once this takes place, we're no longer going to be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Amen. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. What does that sound like? Deception, right? Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of what? His body, the church. Well, I don't need church. I just need Jesus. You, you can't have Jesus without the church. You can't walk in the fullness of who Jesus is and walk in maturity without the church and being connected. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. I'm not going to say that. But you won't be found doing what he's called you to do and you won't be fulfilling it. Because the Bible says right here that he gave the gifts, the ministry gifts, in order to equip you to do that. Well, I don't need a pastor. Well, tell Jesus. I don't need an evangelist. Tell Jesus. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying one way or another. All I can do is do and say what the Word of God says. Does that make sense? Sounds self-serving to sit up here and say you need me, but I'm just telling you what Jesus, I'm telling you what the Word says. That's, that's, That's what I'm telling you. Amen? It's a popular thing now to say, well, we don't need that. We just kind of live our Christian life and do our thing, and and we can just read our Bible at home, and and we can just do this. And and, uh, yes, you can. It's a choice. You're able to do that. But this is where you get mature. This is where you fulfill what God's called you to do. Now, if your aim in life is just to scrape into heaven, then, then that's fine. But my aim is not to scrape in. My aim is to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's my, that's my heart. And I have failed many times. I'm not here standing before you as somebody who's always done it right. But I don't stop making it my aim. As Paul said, I forget those things that are behind and I press. Amen. Now, now let me finish. He says, verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Oh, thank you, Jesus. As each part does its own special work, that's you. As each part does its own special work, that's you. It helps the other parts grow. Isn't that amazing that by you doing your part, by me doing my part, it actually helps somebody else grow? That's where maturity comes. It's not just you growing. It's not just for you. It's not just about you and I. It is about you and I, but it's not just about you and I. If the gospel stops with you, then it dies after you. If the gospel never makes it past you, then it dies. I mean, it's not going to die because God will raise somebody else up, but do you understand what I'm saying? The gospel has to get past you. It can't stop with you and it can't stop with me. It says it helps other parts grow so that, listen, the whole body is healthy and growing full of love. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And that's not the kumbaya love. 
Sometimes it's a, it's a dirty, messy, uncomfortable love. But it's the love of Christ. It's a pure love. And he loves you and he loves me. And God's called us to walk together in the unity of the Holy Spirit so that we can get some work done. And I'll tell you right now, um, there's been other diseases that have killed far more people. And I'm not making light of it, but the church still went on. You're enjoying the gospel because somebody didn't quit preaching during the plague. See what I'm saying? You're enjoying the gospel because somebody didn't quit preaching during World War I or during the Civil War. You're, you're here and, and you heard about Jesus because other people didn't quit just because life got difficult. I'm not fussing at you. I just, I want you to under, we got to understand that because there's other generations that have to hear. And if all you do is live your life hoping Jesus is going to come back before you have to do anything, you're missing the point. Hey, I, I, I'm ready to be with Jesus. There's a part of, you know, I'd love to just, you know, peace out. We're out of here. You know, let's go to heaven. And have a party, but yet there's still billions of people that don't know what I know. They don't know the God that I know. They don't know the love that I know, the mercy that I know, the forgiveness, the healing that I know. And if I don't tell them, then who will? If I don't tell them, who will? If we don't tell them, who will? We're entering the Christmas season. It's the greatest story ever told. It's the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't matter if he was born on the 25th. I don't care either way. The fact is, is that he was born. Do you understand? I'm not trying to be, I'm just saying, don't get hung up in all the stuff. I got Christmas trees all over my house, but they're not my Jesus. They're just decorations for the season, and I like it. Some of you are like, why do we got gifts up on the stage? Well, because we got celebrate Jesus, the greatest gift. In other words, don't, don't get all holy. I shouldn't say holy. It's not holy. Don't, don't, don't get all weird and religious. You know what I'm saying? We're not singing. You're not replacing Jesus in our songs with presents. You know what I'm saying? I'm, just, I'm helping you because it's so easy to, to, to think that we're something, and, and, but yet the practical days of our life, we're not living it. Amen. Let's be spiritual. Let's be holy. We are consecrated and separated unto God. And I just want to remind you are loved this morning. I know this is kind of a, a strong word, but, but, but as a pastor, we're not done yet in the world in which we live. And, and things are still going to progress. Things are not going to get easy. When, when, and, and you'll hear this some more, but when Constantine made church easy because he endorsed it, and you go read your history, the church became stagnant. Prior to that time, the church was heavily persecuted, and that's where it grew the most. And if you think we're going to get the greatest harvest with the easiest time, 
That's not how it works. And I'm not saying that to make you afraid. We've been equipped to be able to handle whatever comes. That's the good news. Philippians 4.13, he says, For I am uh, ready for and equal to anything and everything. Amplified version. That's the way I choose to live my life. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to be afraid of what's to come. I'm just going to keep preaching the gospel. I'm going to keep walking in unity, keep loving people, keep being patient and kind and gentle and humble and, and keep doing my part and, and putting my hands to the plow and being a part of the body of Christ so that we can all grow up into the fullness of who he's called us to be. Amen. Bow your heads with me.